Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more content and upcoming events, visit anchorchurchcsra.com. All right, friends, join me, your copy of God's Word in Acts chapter 5. We started Acts 5 last week, and if you were not here last week, I invite you to listen back to the podcast. We have a podcast every week, and so we post that on Spotify, on our website. If you, if you don't have Spotify, you can just go to anchorchurchcsra.com, go to our sermon section, and you can listen back to any sermon since launch Sunday, 2022, and so feel free to use that resource. But tonight's message is entitled, The Witness Warrior. In fact, it's the battle of a witness warrior. So I invite you to write that down. Kids, you've got your uh, clipboard there. I hope you're ready to take some notes, to circle some things, to, to color some things. We love it. I love looking out and seeing all the kids with their clipboards taking some good notes. And we don't just want to take notes because that's the right thing to do because mom and dad said so. But God really does have something for you here, whether you are in second grade or whether you did second grade a long time ago. God's got something for you tonight, so let's lean into that together. Acts 5, we're going to cover verses 17 through 42. Nadia read 12 through 16 for us earlier. That was a summary passage that just said God was doing great things in the early church. Now, last week's episode, again, go back and listen to that podcast, but it was kind of a tough time. It was something that got the early church's attention. There was a strict judgment from a couple of people in the church that lied to God. They thought they could get away with deception that turned out for them to be very deadly. And we looked deep into that. But tonight, we're going to talk about the simple fact that the normal Christian life, friends, the normal Christian life is a battle. Would anybody amen that tonight? That the normal Christian life, it is, it, it is hard. And as a Christian, we're called to do hard things. In fact, even if you're not a Christian in the room, even if you're just checking church out, you're not really sure where you land right now, I bet you would still say that life's pretty hard, that we have to go through some hard times, some trials. Anybody else been through some trials in the room? Yeah, kids, kids, we ever experienced anything hard, right? All right, whether it's uh, going to the dentist or obeying your parents or even just going to school every day, that, that can be pretty hard. And so I'm curious, though, of what you think would be the top 10 hardest things to do. If you could make your top 10 list, go ahead and think about it. What, what would you say the top 10 hardest things to do? I decided to Google this just to see what the lay of the land was on the cyberspace. And here's, here's some of the suggestions. Some, some said the hardest thing is getting married, parenting, having healthy relationships, staying healthy physically, entrepreneurship, it's like starting a business, hard, leaving people behind, moving, forgiving someone that hurt you, grieving a loss. Here's one that is super hard, letting other people help you, all right? We live in the bless your heart culture of the South, and we understand Southern hospitality, and it's a great thing. Hopefully, we find our hospitality in biblical hospitality and not just in a general Southern U.S. culture, but it's hard when you need the help, and you go, oh, no, I'm fine. It's hard to let people help us sometimes. A couple that I thought of, 
this was probably one of the hardest ones that I found, and it was hitting a baseball. Did you guys know this? How many baseball players we got in the room? Anybody? Base, baseball players? All right, amen. Is hitting, is hitting a baseball pretty hard, bud? Yeah. It was real hard for me because I was super scared of the ball. I would, I, would sit, I would sit at the batter's box like this, which is a terrible stance because I was terrible at baseball, but I would do this, and I would just watch the ball come by, and I'd freeze in fear because I was so scared. I got hit over and over again and was just petrified I was going to get hit. But the physics of hitting a baseball, guys, you must understand. I mean, this is, this is extreme. Get this. The velocity of an average fastball in major leagues. Does anybody know? Come on. How fast? 90 miles an hour. Y'all nailed it. When the ball whizzes at that speed from less than 60 feet away, the hitter has about 150 milliseconds to decide whether or not they want to swing. Now, how many of you love making decisions in 150 milliseconds? Now, decision-making is one of the hardest things to do too, right? I need a while to weigh the pros and cons. No, you don't have time for that. You got 150 milliseconds to decide whether or not you want to swing the bat. And you got some graphics. You can Google image these graphics to kind of break it down moment by moment. But this is the hardest one for me. If I had to put it number one, this thing, folding a fitted sheet. Any, any dudes in the room? Can I, get, can I get an amen? I mean, like, guys, I don't care how many YouTube videos I watch, how many step-by-step tutorials Tabor has shown me a thousand times how to do it correctly. She makes it look so easy. And I cannot get it right. I cannot get the folded ship. I'm glad to know I'm not alone in that. No, you know what? I think this is the hardest one. The hardest work in our world. This is going to come on the screen. I want you to write this down. The hardest work in our world is the spiritual work of advancing the kingdom of God. It is the absolute hardest work in the world. The spiritual work of advancing the kingdom of God. And that is what the book of Acts is all about the birth of the early church, the advancement of the kingdom. And why is it so hard? Because we have an enemy, Satan, the devil, legions of demons in opposition to God and his children. He wants to not just derail us, but seek and kill and destroy everyone and everything that God has created. It's a tall order, right? To advance the kingdom when you have an enemy like that. And an enemy that can't read, Satan's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. We sometimes erroneously ascribe attributes of God to Satan, okay? He's a fallen angel. So he has the attributes of an angel. But he is really crafty, the Bible says. That means he's very smart. He knows how to outsmart us. He knows our weaknesses. And he opposes us in anything to do with God's kingdom. Then we have our own flesh that gets in the way. I don't know about you, but that's, I feel like sometimes I'm my own worst enemy, which is a quote from an atheist philosopher named Nietzsche. He's actually the one that first said that. And so I feel that way sometimes. I'm like, man, I get in the way. My flesh. And then we have others around us. I wish this wasn't the case, but we have others around us in a sinful, fallen, and broken world who have posed the truth of God and who war against it as we all have at one point or another. So in our story we're continuing tonight, we have those who promote dead tradition at the expense of living truth. The religious experts of the day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they, especially the Pharisees, they love the rules so much, but it cost them their relationship with God. And when confronted with the truth, 
over and over and over again by Jesus himself, if you read the Gospels. These very same men chose their rules over their ruler. And so we must be careful the same thing. But let's look at three gospel realities tonight. Write this down. We want to see three gospel realities in our battle as witness warriors. If the normal Christian life is a battleground, we not only have three stages of the story tonight, but really I want us to see the gospel in every step of the way. And that's actually how I like to preach because I believe it's faithful to the Bible that we see Jesus at every turn and every corner and every nook and cranny of God's word. We see Christ exalted. And so tonight, let's look at our first reality, and it's this. It's freedom. It's freedom. And here's the truth that we really want to lean into. Ready, guys? We were brought out to bring others in. Take a second, write that down. Kids in the room, write that down. Brought out to bring others in. We're going to leave that up on the screen for just a moment because we were not set free for just ourselves. Freedom is entirely central to the gospel message. God wants to set you free spiritually. Free from what? Well, the Bible says we're a slave to sin apart from the intervening work of God. Unless God does, unless God changes our heart, we are captive to the lies of sin. And that's, even though we're loved by God, that's our starting point. We're also at our starting point of having everyone in the room having rebelled against God, the God that loves us. And so we must be set free from that sin. So let's get into the text tonight. Acts chapter 5, verse 17. And here's the opposition. Ready? We see it. Then the high priest, what are the two words? Let's, let's, let's do it one more time. Make sure you all are awake. What are those two words? Rose up. All right. There we go. The high priest rose up, he and all who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees. We talked about the Pharisees. We talked about the Sadducees. Just, just, just to help you sort them out, the Pharisees were the really conservative group. They loved the law and the Torah. They were rule followers, okay? Sticklers for all the rules of the law. And then they made up a bunch of their own too and tried to make those equal with God's word. Those are the Pharisees. The Sadducees, they were your more liberal religious experts, okay? And they were not believers in the resurrection of the dead. They believed some very different things than the Pharisees. They were a little more loosey-goosey, okay? They were uh, very different. And so you got these two different groups. You really do have a group of conservative Pharisees and some progressive Sadducees in the same Sanhedrin together trying to work this thing out because the Pharisees hated Rome and felt like the Sadducees were a bunch of dirty, rotten traitors because they were working with Rome. And so it was just this big mess, the big mess. And the Sadducees, they were filled with what? What what does the text say? Jealousy, exactly. They were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles. They put them in public jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of jail during the night. And get this, kids, ready? They brought them out. Underline those words in your Bible or on your sheet. Brought them out. Write it down in your notes. And the angel says this. Here's the commission. Ready? Go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. When the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, the full council of the Israelites, 
So that's Pharisees, Sadducees, high priests, the whole gang, all 71 of them. They convened everyone. They sent orders to the jail to have them brought. But when the servants got there, guess what? They didn't find them in jail. So they returned and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing in front of the doors. When we opened them, we found no one inside. And as the captain of the temple police and the chief priests heard these things, they were baffled about them, wondering what would come up of this. Did you catch where we started in verse 17? We see jealousy at play. We see jealousy. This is the foundation. If you look, a lot of y'all watched football yesterday, all right? You, you watched Georgia Bulldogs beat up on the Ole Miss Rebels. You, you hopefully watched your team win. I hope all of your teams won yesterday, uh, whether they had a coach or not, right, right, right Jordan? There we go. Jordan, Jordan's a Michigan fan. Um, anyway, more on that later. Some of y'all get that one later. Um, but, we, but we all saw that yesterday. But if we look at the enemy's playbook, if we look at Satan's playbook, one of his key plays, I would call this Satan's eye formation. For those of you who are football fans in the room, you'll, you'll get it, okay? Satan's eye formation, his just run it right into you method, is jealousy. Satan loves to stir up jealousy. You know why? Jealousy always misses the point. I'll say that one more time just so that sinks in. Jealousy always misses the point. Jealousy always makes it about who? Me right? Always makes it about the self. Misses the point, misses context, the real reason, reality, truth, and just inflates the self. Selfish agenda above all else. Not kingdom agenda, selfish agenda. And we're guarding against that in the church. As, as, as a people of God, we've got to watch our hearts in that. The church is not immune from this, amen? Anybody ever seen jealousy in the church? Me too because we're a bunch of imperfect people who need a savior, right? None of us are perfect, but we have to guard our hearts in this. So jealousy inflates self, works to destroy others instead of build them up. We have a parallel to the gospel in 19 and 20. Again, verses 19 and 20, we see that they were brought out of this prison. They were put in prison. That's what sin does to all of us, friends. When we sin against our holy God, the relationship is broken, and we are prisoners to sin, but this gospel reality of being set free, they were brought out of the prison. By who? By who? Who freed them from prison? The Lord. He sent an angel, right? He sent an angel to set free. And so here's the deal. We were set free to set others free. And that's what we see in Acts, right? This mission, this purpose. Set free to set others free. The angel opens the doors, brings them out, and he says, go and stand in the temple and tell all the people about this life. The Greek word for life is Zoe. If you've ever met someone named Zoe, they were named with this word in mind. This isn't just a biological life, like you're living, you have a heartbeat. This is total life, including spiritual life. So what's our mission as the church? We help people understand there's more to life than just what we can see with our eyes. There's more to life than, what, than any kind of evidence that you could see, any, any kind of scientific method you could work up. By the way, science is not really evidence and proof. Science is a method. And what we've done is make science into a God who will offer us some kind of peace. But the author of science is the one that gives us the peace and helps us see what he's created. Let's talk about our second gospel reality. Write this down. 
Here we go. And here's a new word. Several of us in the room are going to learn a new word. All right, kids, you ready? This one's, this one's kind of a big word, but I have confidence in you guys. It's resilience. Everybody say that together. Resilience, okay? It looks like this is how I memorize spelling words in school. This is how I ace my spelling test. I would learn to say them wrong so that I can remember how to spell them. Anybody else employ this uh, psychotic method? Nobody else? Alonzo, thank you. Awesome. Good stuff. I was, I was, I was wondering like, if anybody did that. I, I, when I learned how to spell this word, I said resilience, but I would just add an I to it. All right? It has nothing to do with silence. In fact, it's the opposite. Resilience, advancing despite adversity. I want you to lean into that. Advancing despite adversity. Man, my favorite toy as a kid was this bad boy right here. Throwback, right? Any, anybody in the room? We got toy cars that, you know, the old school way was you'd wind it up. These, you'd drag them back just like this, and then you do what? Let them go. Kids, you got any, you got any of these cars where, you, where you, you pull them backwards, and then you let them go, and they fly? Any, anybody? Anybody play this game in the kitchen? Good, me too. All right. Here's what's going on in there. Did you know there's a little spring in the car, kids? There's, there's a little spring. And what happens, when, when you pull that car back, the spring gets pushed together. There's pressure applied. And then when you let go of the car, what do you think happens to the spring, kids? Yeah, it returns to its original place. The pressure is applied. There's tension that's applied. And then it returns to its original place. And this is exactly what it looks like to be propelled forward into the mission of God. Because there is no advancing the mission. There is no advancing despite adversity without that tension And this is what I want to encourage us to do. When you have tension in your life, especially as you're trying to live for God, you're trying to do what he wants you to do, here's what we've got to make sure that we do, that we lean into that tension. I didn't say it was fun. I didn't say the tension was always lollipops and candy cane. But we realize that when that tension is there, we cannot have advancement without the tension. In fact, the reason for the propulsion of the toy is that the tension was created in the first place. And so... What happens in verse 25 is exactly what happens. Let's take a look at it. Someone came and reported to them. They're reporting to the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the whole gang. They say, look, the men you put in jail, what what are they doing, everybody? Standing in the temple and teaching the people. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was thrown in public jail for standing and teaching the people in the temple, that was the whole reason why they were thrown in there. If I was thrown in jail, punished, Publicly, so this wasn't like our prisons where, you know, you get wreck time and you get a free hot lunch and all of that. Like they were, they were put in stocks, okay, and publicly humiliated. And this won't be the last time they go through that. But would you do this if you just got set free from public humiliation in a public jail? Would you go right back and do the same thing? Oh, I bet we'd be tempted not to. I know I would. If we're real honest, we got to be honest. We're in church tonight, all right? This would be hard, right? But this is what they did. They returned. They were propelled into the mission, standing and teaching the people. They were standing and teaching, but they were also loving people enough, loving God through obedience and then others. 
Let's pick it up in verse 26. Let's get back in the text. So then, next, the commander went with the servants, brought them in without force. Did you get that? They're like, hey, y'all, you guys are going to need to come with us. And these Christians, these, these disciples, they didn't throw a huge fit. They could have, here's what they could have done. They could have got the people on their side and stirred up a, a ruckus, a riot, they could have done that. And there's some of us in here, we kind of have that personality, you know, it's just like, man, I would have, I would have been stirring up a riot if it were me. But what, they, what, did, what did they do? They peacefully came in because they knew God was on their side. And so they brought them in without force. There was fear of man in these religious authorities. That's key. And after they brought them in, here's what happened. They had them stand before the Sanhedrin, the high priest, and they said in verse 28, you know, they start puffing up again. They start flexing. They say, did we strictly order you not to teach in his name? Look, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And here's the jealousy that misses the point. Ready? They make it all about them. And you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. You see the strategy now? You're trying to get up. I mean, you're trying to make us look bad. Do you, do you really think that that was the goal of Peter and John and the 12 and the rest? That they were just trying to make these guys look bad? No, their goal was to advance the kingdom with truth. That might have been the result of it because our decisions have consequences and if, you, we, if we make sinful decisions, that we have some very real consequences that are not pleasant. But jealousy misses the point. Verse 29, Peter and the apostles, listen how they reply. They reply with this, and you can take this to the bank. You can write this down, you circle this. This would be a great verse to memorize. We'll always remember, verse 29. They replied, we must obey Who? Rather than the God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. Here's what they said. We hear what you're saying, but we're not going to fear you. We only fear the Lord. And when I say fear, I don't mean like they're terrified of God. I mean that they honor him. They love him. They're obedient to him. And so you see this contrast, the religious experts, they're, they're terrified of the people. They're actually in fear of man. We make man into God. Do you guys see that? We actually take the created man and we say, you are God. I will fear you. This is where we have to watch this. Myself included. I've caught myself so many times just going, Brandon, that's fear of man. You're doing the right thing, but you're scared to do the right thing because you're afraid of how they're going to respond. And you're making an idol out of a man or a woman, or out of a group of people, or a, or a social group. Teenagers in the room at school, man, it's hard. It's hard to do the right thing when you know that if you do that thing, or say that thing, or don't do that thing, that you're going to be left out, rejected. I want to encourage you that if you do the right thing, if you do what God would have you do, He is with you, and that's all you need. That's all that really matters. We got to remind ourselves of that in this moment. So verse 31 says this, God exalted Jesus, this man, to his right hand. So not only Jesus died on the cross, but God exalted him to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So while they're opposing the religious leaders, they're offering them repentance and salvation. In verse 32 they say this. This is huge. We are witness. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, let's bring it back to resiliency for a second. 
this toughness, this tenacity, advancing despite adversity. Here's the gospel reality, ready? No one was more resilient than the God-man Jesus Christ. No one was more resilient. Jesus was beaten so bad before he died on the cross, he was scourged to such an extent he was, he was scourged way past the normal 39 lashes that the apostles would get at the end of this account tonight. Oh no, Jesus was scourged beyond belief. It's, it's amazing. Scholars say it's amazing that he even survived that. It's actually miraculous that he survived that. Jesus was resilient. He was tempted, tried, beaten, mocked, scourged, scorned, nailed to a cross, died, but risen. And here's, here's the reality for us, church. We only advance the kingdom and complete the mission because of what Jesus did, because of Jesus' completion of his mission to seek and save the lost, to rise again from the grave. Let's, let's get into our third and final gospel reality tonight. Let's write this one down. Three, we have a guarantee. And I'm so glad. <clears throat> So glad that we have a guarantee, clinging to God's unstoppable plan. That's what he's calling us to do. I want to go ahead and read the rest of our story tonight together. As we trust in this guarantee, clinging to God's unstoppable plan. Let's pick it up in verse 33. Now the Sanhedrin responds. They, they hear all this, and what's their response? Again, jealousy misses the point, just fuels the fire for anger. They were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was respected by the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. All right, disciples, you can go on. Us, us Pharisees and Sadducees, high priests, we need to kind of powwow. So y'all go. Gamaliel stands up and he says to them in verse 35, he says, men of Israel, be careful about be careful about what you're about to do to these men. Some time ago, some time ago, Theatus rose up claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following, but he also perished, and all his followers were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, stay away from these men, leave them alone. And here it is, if this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may, be even, found, you may even be found fighting against God. And what was the result? They were persuaded by him. And after they called in the apostles and they had them flogged, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. And then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on the behalf of the name. And every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So did you catch what happened? Gamaliel, who, by the way, a little foreshadowing, he's the teacher of the apostle Paul. Paul, the church planner, who's going to get 
saved in Acts 9, and we're going to read his salvation story. It's just an incredible encounter with Jesus. But Gamaliel is his teacher, a Pharisee. And he stands up and he's trying to talk some sense into his people. But he says, look, Theatus, hundreds of followers, persecution, fire put out. The coals, if you think about a fire, I barbecue a lot, I grill a lot, I do it in a firebox. I have an offset grill, so you build a fire over here and then the heat kind of cooks the food that way. And I think about this a lot whenever I'm building these fires because I see the coal and I get a good fire going. And the number one way to ruin a good barbecue fire is when your coals are not together. They scatter. And what happened in these, in these guys that would come along, these teachers, they would rally up hundreds of people. What happened is the second that the source of the fire died and went away, what happened to the coals? They grew cold. And then what happens to scattered coals that are cold? Nothing. Nothing came of it. Judas the Galilean, same thing, died. Followers dispersed again. Fire died out. But Gamaliel has two guarantees for us tonight. That's our key word in this section. And here's the guarantee number one. I hope you caught it. It's if this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. And friends, I'm just going to tell you this in love tonight. If if your life is just built on your plans, it will fail. I know it doesn't sound very nice, but my goal tonight in this message is not just to be nice. It's to tell you the truth. It's to love you enough to tell you the truth. And there may be some of us sitting here tonight, if you're really honest, you're like, yeah, man, my, my life probably is just a bunch of plans that I made up. I haven't really consulted God about any of that. And we want to help you know how to do that. Like, we're going to not just fuss at you for doing that or anything like that. We want to help you know how to hear from God. And so keep coming back. Keep, keep digging into Acts with us because you're, you're going to see it week after week, how to seek God and hear his voice. This Greek word for plan is this word called boule. Sounds French, but it's not. It's Greek. And boule means a counsel. It's a deliberate wisdom. It's not just information. It's not just a plan like you're going to go out to, out to uh, Poblanos to eat or something. But it's a decree that comes down from someone with authority. It's a resolved plan. And so he says, if this resolved plan in your heart is just of human origin, it will fail. But here's the second guarantee. Ready? But if the boule, the plan, the resolved plan is of God, what does he say? You will not be able to overthrow them. It's unstoppable. And so this is the guaranteed of, um, this is the guarantee of a mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. And I want to get down to a um, closing tonight. I want to kind of land the plan on this. We're going to talk about the difference maker between what we just heard and what's going on. And I have this, I have one of my most prized possessions on, on the stage. I just wanted to share a bit of my heart with you. This is one of my favorite things in the entire world. This is a guitar that I got for my 30th birthday. A bunch of my friends got together, put a bunch of money into a pot and bought me a, a, Mary, a, a 2017 Fender American Stratocaster. And the guitar is phenomenal, but it's what comes with the guitar that really brings value, and it's this right here. Without this, I mean, it's a nice-looking guitar, right? 
But has anybody ever had one of these before? This is called a certificate of authenticity. This means it's real. This means that it's only one of however many thousand, it doesn't say on here. But the authenticity brings value. The guarantee of truth and authenticity brings value to the mission. And here's the difference between these other guys who started these movements and the early church, Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross and he was raised, ascended into heaven. He sent the promised spirit. Remember Acts chapter two? He sent the promised spirit. And we know the original word for spirit in the Greek, we learned it that that week that we preached, is pneuma. It means air in motion. So when we say the spirit of God, that word spirit doesn't just mean like, ooh, spirit. No, this is air and this is the breath of God. The same word that was used when Adam and Eve were created and God did what? He breathed into their nostrils and gave them life. And so with Christianity, the coals didn't spread apart. They were together. And coming back to the fire that I described a moment ago. Do you know the number one recipe for a blazing hot fire in my barbecue grill is air. Without a fresh wind, without airflow. I mean, there's vents and all kinds of things. You have to create this scenario where the airflow is good and and the heat can move across the food and that's good, delicious smoke flavor can move across the brisket and all that. The air, if the air is not there, You can't accomplish the mission. Let me promise you one thing. Without the Spirit of God, the breath of God, the pneuma of our Lord, it will fail. And so we ask him tonight, God, breathe on us. In this song that we proclaim tonight, we say, God, do a work in us where we know it's you. We ask him to speak to our hearts so that in God breathing upon the coals of our heart, you know what happens? A fire. And then what happens when that is spread as the early church did in history? Everything was different. After Jesus rose and the church started, the story of the book of Acts, the past 2,000 years have been altogether different. The church has spread far and wide. One of the number one evidences of a resurrected Christ is the fact that the church, in the midst of intense, unimaginable persecution, grew, grew and grew and grew. And that is only by the breath of God. So this is the life of a witness warrior, the battle of the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life, freedom, being set free from sin, being brought into the light from the darkness, resiliency, toughness that advances despite adversity, and a guarantee, not a maybe, but a guarantee that if God is for you, who can be against you? Paul writes in Romans 8, there's not a a height or a depth or anything that could ever separate us from God's love. So I want you to bow your heads and pray with me tonight.
Let me just ask you a question with head bowed and eyes closed. Have you been set free? Redeemed by Jesus? He paid, he paid the price to set you free. Every person in this room, the youngest child to the oldest among us, he paid the price to set you free because God so loved the world. And there's an opportunity tonight to receive that freedom, that spiritual freedom, freedom from sin, and to receive his forgiveness. You have to receive it through repentance from turning from your sin and placing your faith in Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to do that tonight. It's, it's really simple. We, we, we overcomplicate it in the church sometimes. Just pray to him right now in your own words. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just call out to Jesus. You might pray something like this. You might say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Just tell him, Jesus, I, I know I've messed up. And ask him for his forgiveness in your own words. Jesus, I need your grace and forgiveness. I invite you right now to tell him in your own words, I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and I invite you into my heart and life to be my Lord and Savior. Just tell him. Today, if you hear his voice tugging you towards him into a relationship, to start a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, do not harden your heart. Just talk to God. Call upon the name of Jesus and he will save you in this place. That's the invitation tonight. Lord, I pray for anyone in the room who's prayed that prayer tonight. Lord, I ask that you would save them according to your word, according to the might of your name. Help anyone in the room that needs to turn from their sin and trust in you, Jesus. What you did for us on the cross and through the resurrection, I pray that they would be saved tonight and that they would grab that card at the next available moment, flip it over that next step side and say, I gave my life to Christ tonight. Because Lord, we want to celebrate with them. We want to help them take their first steps. Lord, I pray for those in here, Lord, that have prayed a prayer like that before or have given their life to you in some form or fashion previously. Maybe some people that have been following you for a little while now and, and Lord, they, they, they need that. They need to experience that freedom right now because they don't feel free. Lord, remind them of the freedom that you purchased for them. Jesus, I pray over every person that would call you Lord and Savior in the room, that you would give them a resiliency to advance the kingdom through adversity, to be tough. When the pressure is applied, Lord, to return to what we did at first, and that is to call out upon your name and say, God, I need you. God, would you grow me? Would you speak to me? Would you use me in your mission? And God, maybe someone here tonight Maybe they're saved, Lord, but they're not certain of it. Maybe Satan has caused them to doubt their salvation. I pray tonight that you would strengthen your guarantee. Your spirit is our guarantee, Lord. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you affirm your salvation in their heart 
And Lord, if there's anyone that is not sure that they are saved, if they have some doubts, Lord, I pray they would not leave this place with that doubt, but that they would know for certain, according to your grace and mercy, that they can be saved from their sin and be changed and transformed. So God, have your way in this place. Speak to our hearts and lives. Be with us as we worship you in this response time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Friends, can we stand to our feet? We stand and we just sing this song to Jesus. I mean, he's listening right now. He smiles upon this gathering. Sing it as if he's in the room because he is. The Spirit is with us. Let's lift our praises to him, church. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at anchorchurchcsra.